Well, the title of this message tonight is called, um, I believe it's called Thirst for God's Presence. Or, yeah, Thirst, I almost said I Thirst, but Thirst for God's Presence. And the main scripture we're going through is Psalms 63. Psalm 63, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 11. We're just going to read everything. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. The psalmist David reflects and meditates on God's presence. Oh, I'm sorry. I went too far ahead. David's David's longing for God's presence is so vivid that in this chapter, he begins to describe the thirst that he has for the presence of God. It takes him to even describe when he eats, when he drinks, when he goes to sleep, when he's up at night, when he's working during the day, even in the, in, even in the context of what Psalm 63 is talking about, he is at a thirst because he's in a desert land. If you look at it theologically, geographically, he's in the desert. But he describes it as God's presence. He thirsts for God's presence. God becomes his life while the wicked perish. So I want to go a couple of verses that were um, reaching out to me. And I want you to hone in on how to be thirst driven for God's presence. Because here's the, here's, here's, the, here's the ultimate issue that we all run into in that this is why we don't thirst. Because a lot of times, if we knew how good God's presence is, we would thirst for it. If we knew how in depth and how amazing and wonderful God's presence is, we would thirst for it every single day. If we knew how strong and how, and how tangible his presence is in our lives and how wonderful it is to not just the benefit of us, but to experience him because we belong to him, we would thirst for it every day. 
So let's start with verse one. Verse one, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this portion weary land where there is no water. So he's talking about physically. He's in the desert right now. He's running. I think in this time, he's running from Saul. He's trying to get away from the attacks of Saul. Together, soul and, oh, so together with these words, soul and whole body, what he talks about in here, my soul thirsts and my whole body. He's referring to a person's entire being. So he is saying, not just my spirit, but my body needs the presence of God. Not just my soul. He's saying my soul thirst and my whole body needs it. So this does not mean that you don't go and stop eating. This does not mean that you can just stop eating because I have God's presence. And that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But the body needs the presence just as much as the spirit because when it hits the soul, it should affect the body. What's the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. It hits your spirit, then it hits the soul. And once it hits the soul, then it hits the body. So he's describing that he's so thirsty for the Lord's presence, his soul thirsts for it, that his body's affected by it. You understand? His whole body is affected by what his soul's not getting. So it's in the same context for us. When you don't thrive towards God's presence in your soul, if your soul is longing for it, your body will tell you. There's been multiple times when I would be so far into God's presence every day and every night in the moment that just the few days that I cut it off, I feel horrible. Something in my body feels disgusted that I have not jumped into the presence of God. Because this is for the born again believer because the born again believer, someone who knows Jesus, is saved by Jesus and lives for Jesus, knows the presence of God. You in here who are born again, love God, serve God, redeemed by him, should know. If you don't, doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means where's the thirst? That's what you have to always ask yourself. Where is the thirst? If my soul isn't getting it, my body will be affected by it. It happens every time. You have to learn to thirst for the presence of the Lord. When he starts talking about parched and weary land, this is when David was living in the desert. He also found himself in a spiritual wasteland separated from God's people and the sanctuary. So what made it even worse for David was he was by himself in the desert with no community, no one around him. And he was parched in the spirit. So what's funny to me is that we are fully surrounded by a community, or maybe for some of us, it isn't. We're not, some of us are not surrounded by that, by what David is calling a good community for him. And we become so parched in the spirit, needing God's presence, because that's the fulfillment of your life. The presence of God is the fulfillment of your life. It 
fills you greater than anything that this earth can give. Nothing else can give it better than the presence of the Lord. Verse 2. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. The psalmist remembers that he had found God to be present in his sanctuary. So he's just making a principle that this is the temple. The Lord's presence invades my body. The presence of the Lord invades my being. That's what it's supposed to do. There's all, there's all these different other ideas of how the presence of God works. The presence of God invades your life. It invades your life. And if you're not invading it, if you're not letting it invade your life as a believer, then you need to ask yourself some questions. Because the one, this is the fear that we have. This is what we say. I'm not going to ask myself that deep question because I am afraid of where it'll lead. That's what happens every time we ask if the presence of God is in my life or not, because we're afraid of being wrong by the fact that the presence of God is not in our life. But there's nothing wrong with that because the moment that you open up that truth, it is exposed and now you can receive it. Once you realize that you're not in a thirst for the presence of God, now you can start to deal with yourself. And the Lord involved with that as well. And you can finally get to that point where it's like, I'm not experiencing the presence of God. I'm not thirsting for the presence of God. I need to be honest with myself. This is our issue. Just like we're, some of us are not honest with people in general, we're not honest with ourselves ever. So how can you say that you're a Christian and say that you love Jesus but you don't spend time or encounter Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Nowhere does it make sense when you encounter Jesus that you wouldn't want to encounter him again and again and again. You need to thirst for the presence of Jesus. David knew that. David knew the gaze that he had on the Lord was genuine, powerful. It was strong. It was good. Verse 3. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. When he says better than life is life itself, he is basically saying the highest quality of life cannot compare to this moment. Think in your head, the best thing you could ever get in your life, God's presence is better than that. The best thing in your life you could think. Anything. A nice car nice relationship, which there, there are nice relationships, but nothing of that sort, any type of Bahama luxury cannot compete with the presence of God because that actually changes you and transforms you from the inside out and your soul, it restores your soul more than anything. Let's jump all the way to verse six. Verses six through eight talk about David reflecting and meditating on God's presence through the night. In the absence of light, God is the light. The quietness of the night and the longing for dawn provided time to focus on the true significance of life with the Lord. I can relate to that because there have been multiple nights for me as a teenager 
where I couldn't sleep and I recognized I needed to spend time with God. If I could not fall asleep, this gave me the opportunity. I'm not saying I get it, got it every time. But what I'm saying is, is that if you are staying up in the middle of the night, letting something else attack you, why don't you jump into the presence of God and dive into it through the night? I'm not saying what you're going through is not little. It is a big thing. That's why it takes God to combat that thing. So you spending time with the Lord in the night is important because David had nothing else but the presence of God. Us in this room, we have plenty of things. We could scroll through social media. We could, we could play video games for hours. We can do all of this stuff to numb the pain in the middle of the night. But David had nothing. David had no TikTok. David didn't have Fortnite. David didn't have anything that we consider to use as an aid for our suffering. Because when you are suffering, you have to go to something to get the aid. And Jesus is the true aid. He is the great physician. He's the healer. And the issue is, is that we will go to everything else. But like I said, David had nothing. David had nothing with him and the presence of God was there with him. He needed it through the night. Verse six, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Verse six is talking about meditating on God's, meditating on the Lord requires focused awareness, concentration, thought, and reflection. In this day and age, in the culture we live in, for us, everything is like fast food. Everything is fast food. You want to search something up, you can get it quick. If you need to, if you need to, like, search up a video to figure something out, then you can search it right at the moment. Everything is fast. Everything is fast. Everything is an instant now. Everything is fast now. So our tolerant, our patience and tolerance of something is at a low right now for this generation. So while the world is telling us to keep going, God is saying, give me a couple of minutes. Give me at least a couple of minutes of your time so that you can experience me, your heavenly father. The one who loves you and that you love me. That is what we're supposed to experience, but because everything is so fast paced, if we don't sense the presence of God within 10 minutes, God's not real, God's not with me, God's not whatever. We jump into the what if because we're, we're used to the fast food. We're used to the fast food culture. And when we start to backtrack and actually think, I need to give God time. I need to give God margin. I gotta give God space. Y'all, it takes, sometimes it takes me 10 minutes Sometimes it takes me three hours to get into the presence of God. It depends on how long you're willing to wait on him. I forgot my keys, my church keys today. And I got here at five, Josh was here at five. We were chatting, we were like, man, won't be able to get in. And what was funny was that traffic was bad. So a lot of the serve team members got kind of late. And James said, uh, I'll be there in 20. Dude came in at, in, in like 30. But, but he still came. He still got there. 
I'm like, man, I, I could have went and got my keys. Like I literally told Josh that, like I could have went and got my keys at my house and then come back. But I knew he was already coming, so I just waited. We waited. What, 5.35, they, they all, the, he showed up? 5.35, yeah? So he texted me. I know specifically, this is weird. I, he texted at 5.08. He said, be there in 20. It was 5.20. Me and Josh were like, he's late. He's not here. Where is he at? But I knew he was coming. Why? Not just because he told me, but because he knows he would want to be at the meeting because he, because he helps out, he cares, he serves. God is just like that. James couldn't get here quick enough probably because of traffic. God can't show up quick enough because you are not in your patient space because you want everything so fast. I could have been impatient and just went and got my keys. But because I waited, the Bible says, if I wait on the Lord, he'll renew my strength. That is a principle we should all live by. It's not just talking about God's presence. It's talking about patience. When the Lord says, wait on me, that's not just like, oh my gosh, he's, he's going he's gonna to meet me where I'm at. No, it, just, it also means being patient with everything in your life, with everything in your life. When he tells me to wait on him, he's going to renew my strength. So when he renews my strength, I'm whole. But instead of renewing my strength, I go and get other non-benefits to renew that strength. But it really just makes me weak. So waiting on the Lord to renew your strength, it teaches patience. And this is where we have to learn to be patient on the Lord. It requires a focus, a concentration, a thought, a reflection. You can't just go into God's presence and just be gullible and be like, ah, oh, that was great. There is a deep examination when you're in the presence of God. Why? Because he is light. He exposes everything. He shows everything. Your shadow can't step away from the presence of God. It vanishes from his presence. So when you get into God's presence, there is a deep reflection. Not of judgment, not of looking shame upon you, but examining your life. The Lord examines and transforms. He doesn't look with shame and judgment. He sees you and says, let's work on this. Let's work on that. I want to see you greater than that. I want you to overcome this. I want to walk you through this. That's conviction. Conviction sometimes is where God has to put his hand and be like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. He'll do that sometimes. But oftentimes it is the encouragement, it is the coaching of the spirit to go, let's get out of this. Let's walk out of this. It's time to let go. It's time to leave. It's time to get over that wall. It's time to overcome it. His presence brings deep examination. And that's why it scares people sometimes. I'm telling you, some people are like, I don't know why I fear the presence of God. And I would ask them, what are you afraid of? They said, I don't know. I feel like something's going to expose me. I've had multiple people tell me that. Why? Because it takes deep examination in God's presence. If all it is, is if it's in a, if it's a, if all God's presence is, is a, is a, is a emotional feeling, a biological, a biochemical feeling, then we've lost the sense of what God's presence really does. His presence brings deep examination. 
It takes thought. God is sincere. Who's an intentional person in here? Like if you had like a close friend and you knew what they liked and you knew what they really wanted for Christmas, you would deck out and just, and just go all for it. Who does that? Who's very intentional? Sentimental. You think you're very sentimental, which I know some of you, you really, really are. Very sentimental people. Some of the most sentimental people in the, in the world. My wife is sentimental. She's very intentional. God is very serious and specific. So when you reject the Lord's presence, he takes you seriously. He doesn't look at you with shame, not reject him. He goes, they don't want to spend time with me. I understand. But the, but the one who loses is you, not him. The one who loses from rejecting God's presence is not him. It's you. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants that. But if you're not going to do that, he's going to respect the decision. But that falls on you. It becomes your issue because you're the one rejecting all that is. The almighty. That's what you're rejecting. You're rejecting someone who formed you, knitted you in your mother's womb and decided to create relationship with you. And that's rejecting him. I hope that convicts you because the conviction should push you to get closer to him, not away. Shame is walking away from God. Conviction is pulling towards him. Conviction is never a place of shame and guilt. It is of pushing ahead. Meditating requires intention. God's intentional. So the moment that you get distracted on your phone while you're praying, God sees that. God takes note of that. And, I'm, and I understand, we don't, we're not always going to be perfect. But don't put stuff in front of you that's distracting. God, when you, when you have a very close friend, like for all my intentional people, all my sentimental people, when you have a friend that you love and care about and that you enjoy comes over, you drop everything to talk to them, meet with them, ask how their week's been, talking to them. You can ask any serve team member, any student that I've taken out to lunch or whatever. I always ask them how they're doing. I always ask them, how's your life been? The spiritual part, I get closer to the end because I want to know how your life's been. That's intentionality. God is the same way. God is in that exact order. And he is not upset that you're wasting his time. It hurts him because you've made the decision to try and it backs off. I'm not saying you're going to make that mistake of being distracted. But what I am saying is, why are you letting things in the way distract you from the one who can give you life and life abundantly? He is a true thirst. His presence fills you. That's why why David references being thirsty for God's presence because it's like a living water that fills you into the bucket, which is your soul. This reference, this is also a reference to the same thing that Jesus did with the woman at the well. She was the bucket. He was the water. He's telling her, if you take my water, it will never run dry. You will always have something in your bucket. And David is saying the same principle here. Scripture always talks about his presence and his life and his power being living water that you need to fill your cup with. And if you're not filling that up every day, 
you become dehydrated. You become weak. One of the biggest issues I'm having in my life right now is that I don't drink enough water. I literally forget every single day to drink water. And Sarah gets so upset with me. She's like, you're going to have heart issues if you don't drink water. I said, I know. I said, uh, then I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'll just act like a little boy sometimes. But I need to drink water because, yeah, that will cause issues in my life. Health issues in my life. How can we not imagine that the bucket or the cup that we have that God's trying to fill is completely depleted? And how can we say that we live... Everything that you label yourself as a believer should follow with your fruit, always. If the fruit doesn't match up with the title, you're, 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 you're making a false claim on yourself. Not just, I'm not going to say you're doing it out of hypocrisy, but there is a false place here. You said this, but you're doing this. How does that make sense? And it doesn't mean you're not going to be perfect, but it means that God wants, people will see, the Bible says that you can judge people righteously on their fruit. Not on, not on how well they can give to the poor. Not, not just well on how they can speak into somebody's life. But Jesus is saying someone who loves me Someone who wants to serve me, obey my commands. That's what makes your fruit work. Your fruit doesn't work because you gave, you gave, let, let me, let me, let me just, let me just not be as brutal. But like I said, giving to the poor, all that stuff, that's good, but that doesn't just show fruit. That should, there's a lot of evil people who give to the poor. There's multiple evil people who give to the poor and then brag about it. There's multiple people who are evil, who do not know Jesus, that give $5 to the homeless man on the side of the street. But that doesn't determine fruit. What determines fruit is your devotion to the Lord. Because you can do everything for him and never know him. The scariest thing that Christians do not understand is that you can do everything for Jesus and never know Jesus. And that scared me for a long time because I did everything for him. I served in a capacity, but I wasn't willing to do everything out of love for him. See, the main component we're missing with Jesus in his presence is the love that we got to give back. Not because we, because trust me, all of us owe Jesus for what he did on the cross. We owe him everything. But all he asks is that, give me your heart. Let me turn this bad fruit into good fruit and let, watch your life flourish. And then you get your ticket to heaven. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus made a way when there was no way. He paid the ticket so that you can get into the stadium. That's the gospel. But the fact of the matter is, is that there has to be a, uh, um, what's it called? I call it, I call it the excuse, the excuse, um, almost like excuse margin. I use that word again. It's like excuse margin. There, there, some of us have made just enough excuses to where it doesn't matter anymore. There has to be margin in your life because, because, 
I can say I'm a believer, but if I am constantly choosing things over Jesus in sin, in everything, I cannot call myself that. Trust me, I'm not perfect either. I'm probably the worst out of this room, but I'm telling you, the devotion that I have towards the Lord needs to be in that place. Because if it isn't, if you're not going to the bread, if you're not going to the presence, if you're not taking him seriously, if you're not pushing towards him, then what are you doing in this place? The community is great. Don't get me wrong. I love this youth group. I love this church. But that's not my salvation. That's not my indeed ticket. That's not my indeed place. Heaven is only accessed by Jesus, first and foremost. So I encourage you and hope that you take in this one thing, that the thirst, you don't need to force the thirst for the presence of God. You just have to continue to ask Jesus. Thirsting for his presence doesn't mean you fake it, doesn't mean you force it. It means that you are now intentionally, okay, God, here's this time. Here's this time. The reason why David went to God through the night and some of us don't, because David knows the importance of who God is. He knows how important God is and he knows what God can do. So when you know what God can do and you know your love and importance towards him, you will automatically go to that. I'm not saying every time. But what I'm saying is, is that that should be something that you grasp towards. That's something you can touch. That's something you can grab. That's something that is tangible. There's things you have to buy. There's things you have to purchase to get that need placed. But God is the free gift. His presence is the free gift. So my challenge to you tonight is to genuinely thirst for God's presence. Don't be ashamed if you don't thirst for it right now. That just means you need to look on the inside and examine yourself. That means there needs to be an examination. That means there's hope for you. That doesn't mean it's over. When I say you need to examine yourself, that doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It means you have an opportunity to look. You have an opportunity to see yourself and go, okay, there's no thirst there. Lord, what is going on? To examine yourself is to not bring shame. It's to bring truth to you so that you can work on it with the Lord. David thirsted for God's presence because he knew himself. He humbled himself. He knew what he did wrong, but he knew who God was. So when he humbled himself under the Lord, it's all about submission towards the Lord, love and submission towards the Lord. It's to govern under who he is and to not take things into your own hands. Thirsting for God's presence is not just a moment. It is a life principle. It is a principle in your life. And I'm telling you, I guarantee you, I bet a hundred dollars. No, I'm joking. I ain't giving none of y'all a hundred bucks. It would take, I promise you, it takes just the Lord himself to satisfy your life. There are people that that are broke right now like money broke, emotionally broke, mentally broke, and they know the one place that will get them to a place of joy and contentment is God's presence. David was in the desert by himself, 
Imagine how close we can get with stuff still in our life. He had nothing but the Lord. For us, we have everything and the Lord. And that's the problem. You have everything and the Lord, but you don't say, I have everything, but I ultimately have the Lord. Because there's other lovers, there's other idols, there's other things that are taking your heart, that are taking that place. And God is calling you through Psalm 63 to say, no, I'm going to thirst for him. He's the one that I need. He is my true supply. And receive that. And take that home with you and put it in your heart. Go read Psalm 63 when you get home. Read the scripture and see how David did it. David survived the desert. He survived the loneliness, not because he was such a strong-willed person. Strong-willed people will eventually crack. I've seen it. I've known multiple strong-willed, assertive, strong-willed, assertive people who have broken to their deepest, darkest places because not everything is such a strong tower, but Jesus is the only one that will never break. So my challenge to you tonight is to thirst for the presence of God. Go in on the presence of God. Go towards him because he will satisfy you always. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna end it with this. I just want us to pray. I want us to engage with the Lord this evening. I want us in this moment to truly soften ourselves towards him. I'm telling you, I want to encourage you. I want to make your, I want to give you some clarity of peace. Self-examining, deep examination, reflection is not shame. Maybe people have examined you out of judgment. People have looked at you at judgment but the Lord sees you as we can work with that. I can work on that with you. I can work with that. The Lord is the ultimate helper. There will be people that won't understand what you're going through. There will be people that won't understand why you love God so much. Some people won't uh, won't even understand why you're the way that you are. But the Lord sees it. The Lord knows it. The Lord knows more mistakes that you've made than anybody else in the room. And yet he says, I can work with that. I can work with that. I can work with that. God worked with David. David was thirsting for God's presence. And all, and you know what? One of the biggest things he did, he committed adultery. That's shamed upon. That's frowned upon. Obviously, it's not a, it's a sin. But the Lord still loved David and David still loved the Lord. We have to get to that point. It's not just about your do's and don'ts. It's about your motive. What are you believing God for? Why are you in this church? Why do you, how do you know Jesus? If somebody walked up to you wanting to know about Jesus, how would you tell them? How would you tell someone about Jesus? Can you say it from your own experience? Can you say it from a study of your own? Have you studied the Bible? Have you taken God's love and experienced it for yourself? If you have not, then you can't really explain Jesus. 
but it's taking the presence of God in, experiencing the presence of God, experiencing Jesus for yourself and saying, I've met this Jesus. I've never seen him, but I've met him. I've met him. So just ask the Lord right now, Lord, help. I want to thirst for your presence. Maybe, maybe I do have everything and have nothing at the same time. Just like David in the desert, you might have nothing right now, but just ask the Lord, Lord, I thirst for you now. Not just because you're the only option, but because you are the ultimate option. Lord, we thirst for you. Father, we thirst for you. Stay in his presence right now. Don't get distracted. Don't lose your t- don't lose your, your the span of your mind. The enemy just wants you to stay out of it, to zone out, to take God out of the equation of your mind. That's why you zone out so much. This is for someone in this room. You zone out so much that you can't even pray for a minute. That you can't pray for 2 minutes. That sometimes you try to go and pray, but you zone out and something happens. That's the enemy at work knowing when you pray towards the Lord, you've won. You spending time with Jesus, you've won. So come on, press into him right now. It doesn't just have to be a building. You you are the sanctuary. You are the temple. David said, I am a sanctuary and the Lord will live in here. The Lord will live here, in this place, the sanctuary called my body, my soul, my spirit, my body. Rest in this place, Lord God. Lord, flood our souls with your presence. Flood our minds with your goodness. Flood our hearts with what you want, what your will is, not ours yours not our preference but yours not our agenda but yours Lord what hurts you Lord let it hurt me what you hate let me hate Lord teach me your ways because your ways are higher than mine your ways are greater than ours so Father I pray that some of us in this room can truly see what your will is Because your will is greater. Your will is stronger. Your will is greater than anything in this world. Father, I pray that we would be like David, where we can thirst for the presence every day so that when we go to it, we're filled. Where my mood can truly change where my behavior can truly change, not just because not just because I want it to, but because you are changing us from the inside out, transforming us as human beings to be more like Christ. So Father, I pray that you would redeem us. Lord, wash us in your presence in the blood of Jesus so that our sins can be made whole. Maybe you can't experience the presence of God right now because you have some sins to ask God to forgive. I'm telling you right now, due to, uh, due to the popular theology of sin is accepting, your sin separates you from God. 
Your sin blocks you from Jesus. Why? Because you're choosing, it, it could be sin, it could be whatever, but even with sin, sin is basically missing the mark. What that means is that it's like shooting an arrow at a dartboard, like shooting something at a dartboard and completely missing the board. Completely missing the board. And the funny thing is, is that sin also is you choosing something over him. Choosing something, not because he told you not to, because yes, he told you not to do that. But he also doesn't want you to choose that over him. Because that sin does bring a benefit for a little while. It does bring a benefit for a little while. But it breaks you, it hurts you, it destroys you, it demolishes your soul. It allows demonic spirits. It does a lot of things. Sin does a lot of things in one act. But the act that Jesus did on the cross paid for all of that. So if you have sins, just confess it to the Lord. You don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to talk. If you need that help, you can talk to someone. But if it's something that you know, it's like, okay, I got to get right with this. I can. The Lord is here willing to forgive. He's always willing to forgive. You could have done the worst thing in the world. God is willing to forgive. God is willing to forgive. So just ask for forgiveness right now. Ask the Lord to wash it clean. Ask the Lord to to redeem you. Anything you ask, it will be given to you. The Lord is a giver. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you people who do evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Lord give the Holy Spirit to you? So if us as people who sin and who are not perfect know how to be good, how much greater is God of giving? God wants to give you everything. You just got to take things out that are blocking it and thirst for his presence daily. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your presence is in this room and we thank you for being here always. Father, we also pray, Lord, that this would challenge our hearts to press toward you, not to run away, Lord, because we know that's a shame. That's shame. Shame is to run away. But Lord, we know the conviction that some of us might be feeling is pushing us toward you. It wants us to get close to you. That's what conviction is, Lord. So we pray that, Lord, as we continue to live our life for you and to love you and to be called believers and Christians, Father, I pray that we would learn how to do that so that we can share that fruit so that we can show that fruit to others so that they could ask, what do you have? What do you, why are you like this? Why are you so joyful? Why are you this and you that? And Lord, we can have the opportunity to share Jesus to them so that they can experience you as well. Father, we thank you that your presence is easily accessible, Lord, when we humble ourselves and get everything out the way to see you. And Father, we ask that, the, that the, the emptiness that we might feel would be filled by your presence, that our cup would overflow, just like for David in the desert. Lord, we love you. 
We thank you for your presence. And we pray that we would continue forward so that you can be glorified always. Always and forever. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.